A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, Loose Units listeners, and welcome to another weekly episode of Loose Ends. It's quarantine time, and Dad and I are having a phone call every week where we try and keep you company throughout this very, very odd, very trying time. Dad, where are you calling from right now? As listeners may recall from last week, mm. um, when I was in my office, which was stationary, which is my Hilux ute, Toyota Hilux. Sponsors, please. You know, yeah. they're, not, they're not sponsors yet. This time I'm in the same vehicle, but I'm actually uh, mobile. I'm heading across a bridge. Yeah, okay. I've, I've done, so I'm heading over the Spit Bridge, heading back towards Sydney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things are great. You know, I've got my, my bull bar tied on with rope, and it's still it's hanging in there, so it must have been a bloody good, probably a fireman's knot of some type. Sure. Description. Okay, so Dad, I thought I'd read you uh, a message that we got from a listener called Trish, and I'm going to skip away through because it's, it's a lovely long message, but here we go. You can imagine... Imagine my delight spotting a couple of local senior firemen last week at Manly Coles. Given all the tension in the air thanks to the virus, I've been going out of my way to make friendly small talk and bring some small joy wherever I can. While engaging in chat about loose units with them, I asked had they been listening to it, especially the episode's hot stuff coming through. They said they had friends who had been talking at the fire station about it on Sydney Road near the Fairlight Shops. And some of the crew at the station had been listening. I highly recommended to these two girls to get amongst the podcasters. They would find it good fun. The older guy then said to me, a couple of us used to work with him. He had a nickname, you know. I leaned in and said, go on. He begins, they used to call him Showbags. Now, Dad, did you know you had a nickname at the fire station? I had, <laughs> I had multiple nicknames. Uh, showbags, uh, mainly full of shit. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to laugh so heartily, Paul. No, because she goes on to say, you know, like at the Sydney show, you get a show bag because show bags are full of shit. Yeah. And then yeah. Tr- Trish. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Okay. Trish, cool. I mean, first of all, Trish, it depends on. I mean, you get the Birdie Beetle show bag, it's, it's very good value. Secondly, yeah. Dad, did you. I mean, you clearly knew you had a nickname. How does well, that. Well, I had lots of nicknames. I had a. Uh, they used to call me Scott Bonner. Right. Uh, Why? Which is a, because Scott Bonner used to make lawnmowers. Right. Oh, you used to cut. You cut the grass. You cut in line in front of that guy. To yeah. A... Uh, when I when I got that sort of that opportunity to go to ladder school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they called me Scott Bonner. They used to call. Also, used to call me Pig Dog. And why was that? Because they reckon. Because they reckon that um, you know how a pig dog, like a um, a Staffordshire Bull Terrier or an actual pig dog, takes down a pig. Yeah. They 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 sort of lunge. They grab onto it. Then they just pull it down and. You know, they hold it down until whatever. And um, they thought that I was like that with conversations. In other words, <laughs> once I once I got a conversation going with some some poor person, I, I, there was no stopping. I just I'd go on and on and on. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but they were they were rather sweet in terms of endearment. Um, that is so that is so great. I mean, I think we yeah. need first of all from a merch perspective, we really need some loose unit show bags now. I mean, I know that. Listeners are really excited about merch, and I just love the yeah, idea. I'd, of- I'd, yeah, I'd love to um to come up with some some neat 
stuff to put in them. Yeah. An anal thermometer. Sure. Well, anal thermometers is a no-brainer. Uh, red underpants yeah. is really obvious. I think some Chinese takeaway yeah. containers, some um, Paul and John brand hamburger cream. There's all kinds of... We- I mean, all of it's... I love re- it. I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah. I got an email from Michelle Parry, actually. We got a message from Michelle Parry, and she wanted to know something that I'd like to run by you, Dad. Hey, fellas, has John ever had any strange slash supernatural slash spooky things happen on any of the jobs he went on besides Luna Park? Thanks. Had some really weird shit happen at the Sydney Opera House, but... Um, Did you? Well, yeah, because there are supposedly ghosts, and there were definitely areas within the Sydney Opera House, particularly sort of one or two in the morning, that were really, really fucking scary. Just for some context, could you fill some... Because not all the listeners will actually know what your role at the Sydney Opera House was and when you yeah. did it. So could you fill people in a little bit? When I had left the fire brigade to be... You know, I, I applied to this job at the Sydney Opera House and um, I was working with their uh, fire and security department. I mean, incredible to think that they actually combined. And, and I mean, imagine the, the, the joy and the excitement knowing that, A, because I love... You know, I've always loved music, um, you know, love going to the opera house, love all that sort of stuff. And then, but also my background, police officer, fireman, and I thought, shit, this is, and I went for the interview and, you know, I got the gig and that, that turned out to be a couple of years of absolute incredible, just, oh, that was so wonderful to work there. And it had lots of fringe benefits, like the night that we saw a very famous uh, show in the concert hall and... Because of my position at the Opera House, we managed to get what were called the Chief Executive Officer's seats, which were always uh, the best seats in the house. And for those people that don't know, in the Opera Theatre, it was five rows back dead centre. And in the concert hall, it was on a, a sort of a mezzanine level, again, dead centre. And one night I'm sitting with Christine, we're watching this incredible show. And But I was aware before the show started that everyone was sort of looking around and sort of looking past me. And it was really disconcerting. Like, I'm trying to sort of get focused on the show that's about to start. And there, there was a real buzz around us. And I looked next to Christine, and guess who Christine was sitting next to? Who? Tom Cruise. Piss and off. Nicole, and Nicole Kidman. Piss off. Yeah. Uh, so that's just, that's a, not a great example. I mean, I got to do, I got to meet some incredible people. I got to meet Yoko Ono and show her privately, just the two of us, around wow. the Opera House. I got Morgan Freeman. Um, what? Uh, look, there are lots of things that happen at the Sydney Opera House that are just unbelievable, and I think we've touched on it, on it at a few live shows about yeah, some of the. There's been a few you know, things. Yeah, there's been a few kind of interesting stories. One of which I would like to kind of you know do an episode on like down right, the line. Right. But I think yeah. I think. But coming coming back to your thing about um, so yeah, look, I don't want to sort of bring sort of the whole crowd down, but you know there were some pretty weird things happening at the Opera House like super weird and but there were also some unfortunate events that uh oh god it just reminds me of that amazing shit have i told you the one about the opera uh, for those people that know what an opera theater is like they're kind of very intimate and they're very kind of high so people are looking right down they're like on the stage but above right but in the sydney opera house this is gonna fucking blow you away but i may have told you this story but um, again, it's one of those stories that's so weird that you'll think, hang on a sec, you know, because I go through a lot of the stories and I actually question my own sanity sometimes insofar as they're so surreal. Like, yeah. I was, you know, I listen to the stories and I go, how is this possible? How, you know, like the bootlicker story, that was pretty amazing. And you think to yourself, um, you know, just are these things 
humanly possible. But there was a section of the um, opera theatre where they actually banned seating from. Right. Because it was sort of directly over the stage. Basically, it was because during theatres, some of the actual uh, players used to be um, used to be sprayed with semen. How's that? I'm sorry, what? There were people, you know, there were people up in the special section of the opera theatre used to jack off over the theatre. You know, the opera singers. They used to masturbate up in the, in the seats. So they actually cordoned off permanently. So I remember asking, I said, oh, why, why doesn't anyone ever sit in those particular seats? And they just explained the reason why, that they caught people, because um, it's very dark and intimate, and if you really, really love the opera, I guess you could just sit there and, you know, are you still there? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just a little. I'm I'm lightly in shock. I mean, this is this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the arts well, that's, industry that's, is meant that's to be. my sole purpose in life, Paul, just to tell shocking stories and. Yeah, show bags. Me, I've, show, yeah, I've got a grab bag of them, and that's just another one. Sure. You know, like you only have to say a word to me. Yeah. Or to like Opera House, and yeah. it's on to young and old. Okay. So, yeah, but there are lots and lots. There are hundreds of stories about the Opera House. Probably hundreds of stories about all the Opera Houses all over the world where weird shit happens. One of my. Um, when you've got. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite, uh, it's not really an anecdote, it's just something that happened. You came home one morning and you had a photograph and it was of you in your uniform at the Opera House on the job, sitting down, looking very chummy with Gough Whitlam and his wife. Oh, it was amazing. That was incredible. Do you, should I talk about that photo? Or yeah, please do. I mean, b- b- because to be perfectly candid, as the years have gone on, I've accrued something akin to hero worship for the guy. So I, it wasn't until much, much later that I really grew to appreciate what you what had happened do you want to tell the story well I'll, I'll make it fairly short and concise which is weird because i've never been able to i'm not capable and i remember that photograph someone posted a few days ago of the railway tracks yeah that was very funny yeah well that's how my stories are we got good fans yeah so i they had this sort of steering committee about the future in fact funnily enough to, to all the listeners that are listening now i'm actually passing the sydney opera house oh, as i'm telling this story nice so, so i'm sort of coming off the bridge Travelling south, I'm just about to turn left over the Carl Expressway, over Circular Quay, and I'm actually, I mean, tell me that's not weird. Well, it's, I mean, did you take a detour to add some, you know, to add some scenic no. quality to the, oh, no. okay. No, this is just the way I come home. Yeah, all right. But I think that's kind of, the timing's a bit, bit funny. It's lovely. Yeah. Um, so, they had this committee. Now, when I'm driving over the, this roadway right as we speak, and just... Now, the Opera House is coming into view for the second time. Mm. So, for the listeners, I'm looking over at the Opera House and there's a massive mobile crane that's kind of two-thirds the height of the main sail. And the Opera House is obviously closed, which is kind of fortuitous in that we have this terrible situation happening, but, and I know that it's been devastating for everyone in the entertainment world, the arts, just they're all unemployed now, which is devastating. However... The construction that's happening now, after all this time, since Jorn Hudson was in the developmental phase uh, and they had the competition for the Opera House back in the late 50s, early 60s, they're now doing some major renovations on the Opera House. Right. And my story, um, oh God, what is my story? Well, you were talking about fucking Gough Whitlam. Oh, that's it. Shit, sorry. So they had this. So looking at the cranes as I'm driving, I can't see it anymore because I'm now in a tunnel. But um, I, they had this committee to work on the future of what 
what should happen to the Sydney Opera House to improve it. Yeah. Now, I was at the Opera House in the year 2000, which is 20 years ago, and now they're just starting to get do the actual construction work and sort of modify and enhance the Opera House. But I was involved in a committee for that very purpose. Really? And they wanted people from all over the different departments, and I was sort of representing, you know, fire and security, and it was, and it was fascinating. But I thought, like I always do, how can I make a really, really big impact on this major sort of um, this, these meetings that were being held? Because mm. people sort of looked at me in my uniform and thought, well, who, who the fuck's this guy? You know, what does he, what does he know? Mm. Because this is one of those classic examples of you can never judge a book by its cover. And I thought, look, I really, really need to wow these people. So what I did, I came up with an idea of getting Gough Whitlam, who is – a known or was a known fan of opera and and the theatre throughout the world. He and his wife, Margaret, had gone, you know, they were devotees of theatre. Yep. And they'd had a lot of it because he was the prime minister, so he'd been the guest at a lot of incredible, um, you know, opera theatres and, and concert halls all around the world. And I thought, imagine if I could get him to address the committee that I'm on. What, what an incredible sensation. What a, what a, what a coup. And then I thought... You, That's appropriate wording, given his ask. Oh, yeah, yeah, good good call. So what I did, I mean, his, his, this Gough Whitlam was basically like a minor god. He was sort of, and, and, and he was untouchable. You couldn't actually get to the guy. So I came up with a brainwave. I knew his chauffeur who used to come and drive Gough and Margla, Margaret into the actual bowels in a sanctum of the opera house, and they used to get a special lift up to the to the theatres. Yeah. And I presented the chauffeur one night with a bottle of um, Johnny Walker Black Label, and he sort of looked at me and thought, that's really, really nice. Now, what can I do for you? And I said, I would really, really appreciate, and I told him the whole story, and I said, why I'd really like Gough and Margaret to be uh, my guest in, the, in, in sort of the boardroom of the Sydney Opera House on a date to be specified mm-hmm. so that, you know, we could we could interview them and talk to them about their experiences and what they thought were important improvements that we made. And um, I got a phone call from Gough Whitlam Shit. a few days later. And I, I, I honestly, I, I just I fucking didn't, I was shocked. And he's got a unique voice. And, and he just said, look, John, I'm really, really happy. My chauffeur has sort of explained what you'd like to do and, Margaret and I were happy to, to go with it, but we had to keep it really, really quiet because I wanted the element of surprise. Oh, wow. And, um, and then I got a, a rather hostile phone call from one of his staffers saying, how dare you uh, go behind our back and why didn't you organise this through the normal channels? And I thought, yeah, yeah, give me a fucking break. Can you imagine a fire and security officer at the Sydney Opera House calling up his people and going, this is what I'd like to do? They'd laugh at you. Yeah. So I thought, and I knew that. So I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm gonna, not, not going to fuck around with your, with the minions. I'm going right to the top, <laughs> which is what I did. Yeah. Now to say it was a major coup, and it was so good because what happened was, on this particular day, I organised for the chauffeur. We had private parking. Gough and Margaret get out of it because if you've been a prime minister in Australia. Uh, you, there are a lot of uh, perks, like with travel, but you also have a permanent chauffeur and limousine. I don't know whether many people know that, but is that's that, one of the things. Is that still a thing? The Prime Ministers get. One day uh, we, we had this big meeting and I actually invited Christine into the boardroom and I remember people were looking at Christine thinking, who on earth is this person? 
And then uh, the door knocked and uh, there were probably 30 people in the boardroom, top engineers, architects. It was a huge production. There's little old me, fire and security, and the door opens and in come Goff and Margaret Whitlam. Wow. It was a coup to say the least. Yeah, the uh, the chief executive officer, he basically came up to me afterwards and congratulated me and said, John, that was just the most amazing uh, uh, event and thank you very much for all the trouble. And I, I, I knew it would be really, really positive and successful. And that's where I kind of used all my cunning to sort of get a, get a good result. And it's funny in life how sometimes you know that something, there are, there are many ways to skin a cat, but sometimes you need to sort of do it in, in such a way that, you know, you have to go with it. And, and these things don't always, um, you know, bear fruit. But on this particular occasion, it was a positive thing. And so that's sort of an opera house story. But So, Dad, obviously the question was, has anything spooky happened and I think, I mean, were there any spooky, unnatural things that happened at the Opera House? Because, I mean, getting Gough Whitlam and Margaret Whitlam is, is a coup, but it's not spooky. Any, um, any, any spectacular kind of... The size, the size, the height of Gough and Margaret was actually spooky. Oh, right. So they were very... They were so massive. Right. They are gargant... They were... They were gargantuan human beings. But not, how, like, hang on, they how, were almost giants. How, right, like Hagrid kind of walking. Well, I'm six foot tall. Yeah. And, and I was a dwarf right. next to both of them. They were massive people. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Towering. And, and you know what? If they were on fire, they'd be towering infernos. That's a very odd thing to say. That's very... No, well, it's fire. Kind of fiery. Oh, God. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, did you ever... Yes. So you obviously had, you know, you had a history in law enforcement. You know, you're basically the police as far as the Opera House was concerned. Did you ever stop any crimes while you were working oh. there? 
Mate, I'll tell you, I've got a great story. I mean, there are a lot of there. Mate, we could do a whole series <laughs> on on the Opera House. I'm ser- I'm serious. Why not? We could do a whole. Well, we could do we just we could go on and on and on. But yeah, you know, I have to be slightly not that I really give a rat's ass about. The, I don't care about the Sydney Opera House. What I care about is the building, but I don't care about you know the the rubbish that used to go on there, of which there was, oh god, incredible, just ridiculous some of the stuff. But um, and really, really. I got to see some very, very amazing events that were so... Did I ever tell you the one about the, the Thailand story? Have I ever told you that story? No, you haven't. Oh, mate. You ready for this? Yeah. Okay. This is this story, because I got to see a lot of unusual things at the Opera House, because there's a lot of things happening at the Opera House that the public don't get to hear about, and... The granddaughter of the king of Thailand, this is the one that passed away last year. The one that everyone in Thailand adored, yeah. They loved him, absolutely, like I just loved him. So it was a Monday or Tuesday night at the Sydney Opera House, really, really quiet, nothing happening, one of those rare nights. And I was asked to escort this particular girl around. I would describe her at the time as being uh, mid-twenties. Mm-hmm. She had an American accent. Yep. And why I'm saying this is that it'll it'll all become apparent. I had to take her up into the concert hall, and for those people that know the Sydney Opera House concert hall, it's very imposing. It's got a it's got an amazing uh, capacity. You know, several thousand people. Yeah. Some of the greatest some of the greatest acts in the world have been there. Can you imagine how expensive it is to hire out that hall? Because you, when you hire the hall, you get all the lighting, sound. You know, you get the full, you get all the staff, and that's a big production. Yeah. What happens is um, they had a lot of live um, satellite uh, broadcast, outside broadcast units. Yeah, I've seen the... the Yeah, yeah, I've heard them and seen them. In the forecourt with all their big satellite things that sort of go up up into the sky. And, you know, they've got all this stuff happening. And they had a beautiful piano. So, uh, again, this is a little bit of... This is sort of a fun fact about um, the great opera houses and concert halls in the world... No matter who you are, you could be, um, you know, Oscar Peterson on the piano, uh, so jazz, classical, you know, they get the South American bands in. They obviously don't bring their pianos with them, do they? No, they come and sit on the kind of, you know, you you use their piano. You use their piano, but at the Sydney Opera House, they've got a piano bank, uh, and it's a very high security um, room, obviously. Do you have to key in your pen? It was a pun. They've got Yamaha and Steinway and perhaps a few other brands, but they're the, they're the two favourites amongst all the great pianists in the world. Mm-hmm. So, and they'll come in and they'll and they'll choose their their piano of choice. No Casio. No, and um, then of course another thing that happens at the Sydney Opera House, and let's just imagine that it happens at all the theatres and opera houses around the world, is that every single day of the year—that's three hundred and sixty-five days a year. Uh, every single day, a piano tuner comes in and tunes all the pianos. Every single day. Because they can become out of tune depending on the conditions. But they're kept in this amazing environment. So they, they select them. So she's selected this particular piano. Mm. It's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Herculean task with these special lifts to get it up. And they get it onto the stage. And there in the audience were probably... And this is probably the first time this story has ever, ever been told in the world. What happens? So I'm sort of her escort. I'm looking after her. I'm her kind of bodyguard slash showing around the place, sort of looking at her mind for the night. Yeah. And we and we go out onto the onto the stage, and I'm looking into the into the massive void of the concert hall, and there were maybe 
let me see, perhaps 15, maybe 15 people. That's probably not going to cover the, the, the venue hire, is it? No, and that's the entire uh, crowd for the night. They're her friends and some of her family, and she does a small recital, piano recital, yep. and it's fed live to her grandfather, who's the king of Thailand, and it was her, her maybe her 25th birthday party. And that's how they celebrated a private recital in the Sydney Opera House Concert Hall, beamed back live to her grandfather. Does that not amaze you? You know, if I was the rebellious type, if I was, you know, the King of Thailand's granddaughter and I really wanted to punk him, I would have just gone on with the Casio and just pressed demo mode. Remember the demo mode on those things? I do. You get like a saucy samba, you can hear it now, you get like a little saucy samba beat and then just sort of just sway around and just eyeball the camera and say, this is what I'm doing with your money. Mm. Swatika, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was up. And lots of stuff like that used to happen at the Opera House. Lots of stuff on the QT. That's pretty. Um, that's pretty bananas. I, what I would like to hear from listeners is: Would you like to hear more of Dad's Sydney Opera House stories? I'm guessing it'll be a resounding yes. Obviously, you've told me some stories that that have just blown my mind about the Opera House era, which I would kind of like to vet with you off mic, just for safety. And then there's mm, that, that one. Idea. Yeah, there's one that you've told to the live audiences, and they've just absolutely adored it because it has that kind of action rescuey vibe uh, yeah but i'm yeah. I, how amazing that you've driven past the opera house as you've told I these know. stories amazing paul um i had a question for you from last week that a, a new zealand police officer asked me to ask you sure is that okay oh, fire, a thousand fire percent a thousand percent right okay yep. all right so here's the question paul from mm. this sounds like a terrific bloke um in new zealand and he um because i'm on instagram as you know and I get a lot of questions through Instagram because some people are not on Facebook. So yeah. I'm sort of the conduit. And he wants to know why you don't have a driving license. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, when I was, because I studied film over at UNSW and then I ran to Melbourne about, yeah, probably like 11 years ago now. And when I got to Melbourne, I just sort of, I lived right near the city and just didn't get one. Although I'd be lying if I said I hadn't considered it. You actually started teaching me to drive up at yeah, North yeah. up at North Head. But can I just yeah. say, and this is for you and our lovely listener, there is a certain pressure involved when the person teaching you to drive is an ex cop and an ex firefighter who's done pursuit driving and has done car chases. Like the stakes feel mm. very high. It'd be like learning sword mm. fighting from D'Artagnan. Like it doesn't feel mm. you know, it, it really kinda it's a little intimidating. And then after that I just sort of I, I just sort of you know, before long, I think a lot of people who don't drive just after a while realize that they just sort of never picked it up. Here's a question. Mm. Would you, if we lived in the same city, would you be interested in teaching me? I'd love to teach you how to drive. Well, I, look, I'm, I'm thinking that imagine like Tegan does all the driving in your relationship. Well, we mostly right? walk. Okay. We, you know, we walk Oh, true, everywhere. true. But, it, you know, I mean, you and Tegan picked me up from the airport and we've done, we did that amazing uh, road trip. You know, the, the, the road trip yeah. into South Australia. And Tegan, uh, for the record, is I think she's one of the best um, drivers that I've, I feel. I think she's an extremely good driver. Um, I think she's got a little bit of, I think she's learned a few little things when she was in her late teens, maybe. I think she's got a certain, um, she's sort of more a, um, she's not a passive driver. Right. She's definitely. Um, well, she's, she she grew up in Dandenong, so she's, I mean, she's seen some shit. I think she's been yeah, like drag races, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, getting away from the police and all that sort of stuff. And she can park a car in the tightest of spots. I think under what's happening at the moment with the way the world is at the moment, I think a lot of people are not driving 
Right. Um, but here's here's my question to you, Paul. You and Tegan, you visit, um, you do a lot of, or not a lot, but you do some really good country trips, don't you? Yeah, yeah. What happens if something happens to Tegan and you're in the middle of nowhere and you have to get her and you're out of radio contact or phone contact? I think just from that point of view, I, and there are some amazing stories. There's that case of that, remember the 12-year-old boy that drove? No. Um, here in Western Australia recently, a 12-year-old kid drove. There are some amazing feats of heroism where people drive and, and I think that if something did happen like something happened to Tegan God forbid and you had to get her to a hospital and you knew that the only way you could do that would be to drive her and you couldn't drive I think I know it's an extreme example no no it's fair it's completely fair but I just think yeah. you'd feel really really bad yeah I know. Now, I, I, I just think it's important to be able to at least drive you know I mean Anne your sister I taught her to drive in this ute and she passed on a Friday afternoon at Bondi during school period time and the worst possible, most stressful time to drive in Sydney, Friday Arvo, Bondi, in the school zones, in the ute, which is a fairly, you know, it's not like a small car. It's got massive tray on the back. Hmm. And and she passed first time. And, and I'd love you to have a and look. It's not, look, it's not the be all and end all. I know people that have lived and died and never driven. There are lots of... Lots of reasons not to, but you do a fair bit of country travel. And, you know, it's like being on a farm and not being able to sort of drive a tractor. I mean, it's just, it's unheard of. I just thought of a really interesting uh, workaround for this. Why don't we turn it into content? So why don't we chuck a dash cam on and let, pe- let people live stream you teaching me to drive? Yeah, that'd be horrific. <laughs> you, can teach me, um, <laughs> you can teach me some uh, police, you know, some evasive maneuvers and we can turn it into, you know, turn it into a, into a thing. It's really, really important for the person teaching the driver not to be to get stressed out and I remember one night we were all in our little car it was night time we just moved into a new housing um, sort of estate up in French's Forest on the northern beaches and I don't know whether you remember the night but there were five of us in the little car and we were teaching Anne to drive and it was night time and she panicked and we were heading towards a tree she kept going and I remember reaching down and I literally pulled the handbrake out of the floor I was so stressed trying to stop it but she was accelerating i'm screaming christine you and mark are in the back screaming we're heading towards this neighbor's brick wall she completely destroyed the tree and i've i've put the handbrake on so hard that we actually stopped the wheels moving but we were sliding across the wet grass oh my god and eventually when it all came to an end and nan was crying and we're all stressed i then had to pick up this tree that had been planted as part of the new estate, I then took it across into the bush and got rid of the evidence, which I had to do. I'm not sure whether I replaced it, but, you know, that was quite full on. So there are lots and lots of incredible stories about people, um, you know, teaching. Particularly, I don't I don't know if it's a great idea to, um, to teach family. I learnt on a tiny little car. My father refused to teach me and... But the, the, the exciting thing was that once I learned how to drive, I then got to buy my parents' old car, which was a shitbox. Right, and, right. Uh, but I'd been learning on a car that had the kilometres per hour in little stickers on the da- on, on the speedo, sort of because they hadn't done the conversions from miles per hour to kilometres. Jesus. And I used to I used to concentrate on driving at sixty kilometres an hour. The very now here's a story. Here's a fun fact for all the listeners that you probably don't know. The very Night that I got my license, I got it that afternoon. Um, it was a Friday afternoon. I passed first go. I was 16 and nine months. 16 years and nine months was the and to the to the day 
I got my license, I passed. And that afternoon, I got to, I bought my mum and dad's car. I paid $1,100 for it. It was a massive station wagon. And I was so nervous. I took a few mates out. We went out um, and it was about 7.30 at night and we're driving through Warrywood. I was concentrating so much to stay in the lanes and I was driving this huge beast of a vehicle that had three on the tree, which is like column shift manual. And I was concentrating and I was looking at the speedo, but I made a mistake and some listeners will go, well, that's bullshit, but I'll tell you what happened. I actually thought I was doing 60 kilometres an hour. Sorry. Yeah, 60 kilometres an hour. But guess what? I was doing 60 miles an hour which is 100 kilometres an hour. <laughs> and I overtook, the, they had a radar set up, the yeah, police. Yeah. And they were the, mo- they were the motorcycle police that used to drive the Kawasaki Z1000s. They were like, these guys were hardcore, they were hardcore coppers. They pulled me over. I'm shitting my pants. I've had, the, I've had my licence for maybe three hours and I lost it. After three hours. So, and in those days, I lost my license for three months. And here's the rub the police officer, the higher patrol guy that wrote the ticket out, knowing that I was going to lose my license, he was Dutch. How's that? So, you, the cop that I held people, my. Yeah, but the cop that people have been listening to throughout this podcast <sighs> lost his license for speeding the night he got his first driver's license. I think that's, that's, I mean, that's poetry. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And I was so devastated and the police officer could clearly see that I was I wasn't a hoodlum I had a what I thought was a very plausible excuse bearing in mind that highway patrol police have heard every conceivable excuse known to man a million times but he knew that I was a, a decent person and that that was one of the events in my life Paul and listeners that made me realized that if ever I became a police officer, I would exercise discretion. And by golly, didn't I? He, he knew. Yeah, yeah. He knew that I had had my license for three hours. Mm. He knew that what he was about to do was going to fuck me for three months. So That's you... a whole another story about, what I, about my flagrant disregard for what happened then because I actually did drive for the next three months. Oh. And I've got some bloody good stories about that. Oh, boy. All right, well, let's delve into those uh, later on down the line on Loose Ends. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Loose Ends, the spin-off podcast of Loose Units where we keep you company via the phone during the quarantine. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to head across to facebook.com forward slash loose units. And seriously, the book, uh, Electric Blue, my sequel to Loose Units, is coming out very soon. The edits are going beautifully and pre-orders will be open for that very soon. Dad and I will be back in your ear holes next week. Have a good weekend. Cheerio. Bye. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.